well, I guess welcome to everybody listening. Uh, if uh, you're a regular listener of this show, there's a podcast that I mention every fucking episode two to three times. Scary thoughts. And uh, we're lucky today to have Chad here who's calling in from his bug out bunker in um, Oregon. Yep. Yeah. Chad, uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope you're yeah. ready to answer only personal questions and not talk about film at all. That's pretty much my job on the show. My show is like that. <laughs> Mark really does the heavy lifting on the having watched everything. Uh, and I, I, use, I, I'm basically just the color commentator. How do you, how do you program that show? Does Mark come up with the movie and then he makes you watch it like literally? Cause I know you were pushing a scary as 61st for a minute. Yeah, I would say usually there's like, our reading and our com- our personal conversations sort of direct the interest. So like we might be talking about Dario Argento and then we're like, Oh, we should do a Suspiria episode. And then a lot of times it, it's really just random. Like, Oh, you know, the new Suspiria will come out or, uh, you know, we, we really, for a while we were trying to do like whenever there was a big horror film on Netflix just to try to boost our views, but that didn't help at all. So we, we don't suffer Netflix movies anymore. <laughs> Yeah, they could use your help. <laughs> apparently, there's no help in that shit. They're all universally terrible. I, I even like rewatched like the first Stranger Things, and I was season. I was like, man, this is, actually sucks terribly. <laughs> like, like I, I was very, you know, I grew up with all that shit, so I was really like got like the member berries right in the oh, face. Yeah. So I was very enthralled with it, like the the first and second season. And now I'm just, I mean, this is trash. Especially now that Billy, now that Billy is dead, there's really no reason to watch the show. Well, spoiler, dude. I know you're on the Overlook Hour, but come on. Yeah, well, I mean, any, I don't know. yeah. Anybody who's a fan of that show is aware that the greatest character on the show died last season heroically. I um, I watched season one because I loved uh, their treatment of playing D anD D, and it kind of carried me through. And then I started season two, and when they were in like perfect cosplay Ghostbuster costumes, I was like, I can't. It turned into like retro museum cinema. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do it. Where they had like, you know, retro Coke cans up in front. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Mark and I have this like tension. You know, one of our things that we always hit on is like nostalgia and retromania and, and whether or not constantly going back to the well of this beloved shit is actually preventing new new things from being made and concepted and whether that's bad or good for people and you know but the other side of it is like imagine you went to a birthday party and everybody had all your favorite things like your favorite pizza your favorite ice cream your favorite soda your favorite weed and it was assembled there like you would not think that that person was a dick for having done that um and that's how I kind of think of those shows. They're just they're just made like that. That's fair. Yeah, it's that's when like I'm being part. fair. Yeah. Otherwise, I would say these are total like pieces of shit made to make money on a lame <laughs> like streaming service. Yeah, yeah. You nailed it there. Uh, I mean, it is a charitable opinion, but you're right. It's commerce over art, and um, I, I think I have a more selfish reason why I didn't like it, and. When I look back on it, I'm kind of like, oh, you've you've shared D&D, which is kind of a nerd culture, but like very not popular. It like it's not Star Wars. Like not everybody's out there playing tabletop games. It's so on it kinda, its way, though. It's coming. Don't you fucking say that. 
<laughs> and you know, here's the thing. I get to covet it like my favorite band where I'm like, this is my thing. Don't share it with people. I have to hear about the fucking Demogorgon all the time. Like, you know, yeah. how annoying it was. Yeah. But you know what? Like, it reminds me a little bit like, you know, the, the author Raymond Chandler, he was like a, a noir author. They would ask him like, Hey, you know, what do you think about them making all your movies in the books and all your books into movies and the movies really sucking? And he's like, I don't care. The books are still on the shelf. You can still read them. Hell and no. like, I feel like that about D D and D. I mean, God, if I was like 12 years old, and like when I was 12 years old playing DD, D and D, if somebody told me that there would be hot girls dressed up like goblins, <laughs> I would one, if not believed you. And two, I would have been so stoked. I mean, like to I think it might be the golden age of D and D, really, right now. Well, it's it's funny you say that because it's a fucking culture war. And I've I've had a way too long conversation with somebody about how podcasting has affected tabletop gaming in a way that uh i don't think we could have comprehended we're in D, you're hanging out with friends and you have this rule book but you kind of have to come up with your own culture of how this game's gonna run because you're you're kind of in an honor-based system you have a referee <clears throat> that's a book but at the table you the books are made to the rules are made to be broken but at the table you kind of have to come together and decide like how much is too much or like you yeah. know if the dm has an, a vendetta with one of the players you can't just kill them but you can and it's like, is that going to be okay? And podcast, you know, they hire a bunch of voice actors and they're playing these games. And it's, there's a, I know I'm way in the weeds here, but uh, there's a way to play that uh, we call being a murder hobo where you just mm -hmm. run around and it's just like a constant adventure. You have no roots in any land and it's just a different kind of narrative way to tell the game. And I fucking hate it. But now through podcasting, it's just more entertaining. Yeah, so, murder hoboing was the way that D and D was played. Like you would yeah. just kill everything. <laughs> like that was that was the whole, the whole. Like I, I think maybe now there's even more of a narrative thing. I think like the positive of those voice actors is people want to play more nuanced characters. Um, but also, like you have more people to play. Like if like you started a D and D group right now, you would have no shortage of people. Like I remember when I was like the one, I had to be the D and D because I was the only person who bought the book. <laughs> um, and then, and this is like early nineties and then yep. you would get whatever warm body you could possibly have to play. So you'd have like your half jock buddy, uh, maybe one fellow nerd, uh, like somebody with down syndrome. I mean, literally like, like, <laughs> so you would have this group of people and you know, it, it, it that whole, like, I hit it with my ax thing, like that D and D with porn stars thing. That the shit was like, that was your jock buddies. Like, what do you do? I hit it with my ax. Like shit. Like that's all that's mm -hmm. ever going to happen. Um, and then it was like, it was deeply uncool, man. Like there was no, <laughs> and, like the other thing too, is like, it was like, I went to a Catholic school and I got like talking to's from religious professors about how it was satanic. And I was engaged in like satanic activities I mean, now it's like practically a fucking Montessori school tool. <laughs> That's good. You know, it is funny uh, because D&D &D ran into that. Like you can't explore these ideas because now you might walk down a moral road where you'll change. That well, I shit is crazy to me. Like people writing about like, oh, the moral like obligation you have to like not killing orcs or whatever. It's like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It's like, uh, it, it's like having a character and making them gluten-free. Like, what the fuck is the purpose of this? Hey, now I will argue, as a uh, person who's played a game for five years where I worship an evil god, mm -hmm. I uh, 
constantly come into conflict with the binary of good and evil and what that actually means. And I've made pretty strong arguments against like the uh, kind of old school colonial D&D where I, uh, you know, I instead of um, destroying orcs and stealing their treasure, I turn them into tax revenue. It's, mm. it's a little boring, but like socially, it creates a lot of conflict politically. To quote Rick and Morty, this sounds like slavery with extra steps. <laughs> oh, you're you're totally. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're completely right, Russ. How long have you been playing tabletop games? Uh, since I was eighteen. How long is that, Oksana? Like, it's half your life. I think. Yeah, you're thirty-seven. Yeah, it's coming close to it. Yeah, it's. More. Oh, here I can turn your mic on. Say hi to Chad. <laughs> hi. Hey. Yeah, it's almost half my life. So, Chad, do you still play tabletop games? No, I just don't have time for it. I would love to play. Like, I just, you know, I work a lot and have, like, a bunch of other hobbies that take up a lot of time. And, yeah, I I would love to play. I just never have six hours where where I better uninterrupted. So 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 you grew up. <laughs> I was gonna say that too. I'm like, oh so you're an adult now. All right, well, dude. I mean I just, look like my other hobbies are like like you know martial arts and machine guns. You know, like that it's not like it's an adult set of hobbies. You know? I disagree. You know what you know it's funny when I was right. uh, yeah, unless you're Kyle Rittenhouse continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in, uh, he did cross the border. Um, now, when I was in high school and I started, or like when I came out and I started collecting horror movies, I'll never forget one of my uh, hipster friends who first introduced me to D&D. He had commented on uh, my shift into uh, being a horror movie enthusiast. And he, he remarked it as being more adult than what I had doing, been doing previously. Mm-hmm. And that always kind of stuck. I'm like, yeah, it is kind of more adult. And maybe that's why I'm trapped. And you're here stuck now. in that loop for half your life. <laughs> yeah, like that's it. I'm defined by it now. It's fucking dumb. But yeah, Chad, but- if you ever want to play D and D, actually, we don't play D and D. We play Adventure of Conqueror King. It's based off of the uh, Robert E. Howard method of telling stories. So there is a lot of uh, <laughs> land owning and politics there. But you are correct. Uh, I recently I started working with this 22 year old girl and Chris. One of my friends, he plays D&D with us. He does podcasts and shit. He mentioned that we played tabletop games. And she was like, oh, I wanted to try that. And that would have never happened yeah. 10 years ago. When did, when did, this, when did this go into the, the populace? Probably Stranger Things. You think? Oh, well, I remember. Uh, I think the first, uh, people forget about this now, but there was a, a, there was a blog spot called D&D porn, with Porn Stars. Oh, I remember. That was run by a dude named Zach Sabbath, who was a porn actor. And he played with his like, you know, like many of us, he played with his coworkers and his coworkers were all these like hot, like kind of alternative porn stars. And I think that really accelerated it. Cause then right after that, you got nerd poker and then Brian Posehn's podcast, yeah. I think might've been the first really big one. Um, I, I, Stranger Things certainly accelerated it to kids, but I think the, you know, 20 and up set, it was that, that, that sort of blog spot revival yeah also um we can't forget james franco who had a scene in freaks and geeks who uh played the like you know half cool guy who's sitting down with a bunch of dorks to play D mm-hmm. and i believe his reaction was like oh this is kind of just like hanging out and it's like yeah that was yeah cool. that's totally and there's those two community episodes those two D episodes one of them is now banned because of blackface and uh <laughs> one of <laughs> <laughs> that is a big part of D&D. 
You do well, need I somebody mean, to stop in blackface. Well, the thing, I, it's kind of, to me, it's a shame that the episode is like pulled because it's saying a lot that's really smart about blackface and cultural appropriation. I mean, you literally have a character that has black skin, but is not African that the Chinese racist dude is dressing up as to play a fantasy game. And it's like, but yeah. now we, now we can't watch that episode that's commenting <laughs> on how, it, but that episode's commenting on how fucked up it is. And so it's like, Oh, we can't even comment on something being fucked up for fear of like offending somebody in a comedy, a sitcom. Like, it's it's just weird, and that episode is so goddamn funny, especially if you play D anD D. Yeah, I uh, I've been recommended those episodes multiple times, and I'm bummed now that I missed it. Now that it's been canceled. Oddly yeah. enough, uh, same thing with the D anD D and porn stars guy. Now, uh, because we do so many events, uh, that guy Zach um, Smith, I think is his real name. He's a fucking talented artist. He does yeah, his really art's cool great. Stuff. And uh, he did a tabletop game for um, uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, yeah, which which I've talked about before on here. It's a uh, Florida transport to Norway, who does like black metal themed brutal uh, tabletop stuff. And I was gonna try and hire him because we do so much shit for like the film fest, and and then I went down it, and he he got deep into a lot of the protesting during the lockdown, mm-hmm. and a bunch of women came out, and I was like, God damn it. And I was in this weird position where it's like, but I really like his art. And I'm, uh, we had a brief run in with somebody who was trying to cancel one of the movies we programmed before. We don't have to get deep into that. Yeah. But it was somebody on Twitter had no following, but was relentless. And the only person on the internet who gave a fuck was the director. And it just ruined that dude's whole shit. And for a brief moment in time, Uh-oh. we had the discussion internally yeah we'll go ahead and and you know go behind the barrier on this okay we're like is this a director oh there was a minute yeah because we deal with found footage we were like but also i hate to say it but we were also talking should we not show it and it's like no 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 there's one dude yeah well we took care of that guy but man i you know i talk so much shit on like cancel culture except you know i had been in like uh, not even the the driver's seat, but like the back of a fucking van on this one, and I, and it even crossed my mind just not to deal with that dude. It's fucking lame. I, uh, not dealing with it is kind of like my entire approach to cancel culture. Like, there's so yeah. much media that, y- like, 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 why don't we cover Rosemary's Baby? It's just not worth it. It's just not worth hearing about it from people, especially when there's like a million other horror movies I've heard of. Like we had this dude on our podcast named Daniel Coffeen. He's a professor. Uh, he was a professor in the department I went I went to school with at Berkeley, and he was going to teach his students all this like crazy S and M porn shit. For I don't even know why, like, but he was like, gonna, it was like the rhetoric of like deviancy or something like that. And he's walking to class with these stacks of like leather daddy magazines or whatever he was into and his advisor who was like also my mentor uh this guy philippe Gutierrez, who passed away and hit philippe Gutierrez's courses are what scary thoughts is like like we i i do my best to model what it was like to be in that guy's classes but he stopped him in the hallway he's like what the fuck are you doing he's like oh i'm gonna <laughs> blow these kids minds he's like life is too short He's like, go find something else to do. And like, you know, and he would have probably lost his job if he walked in with all this like bullwhip porn, you know? Uh, so 
Yeah, I don't know. Really? Like, I mean, to me, like a lot of this stuff is like, number one, don't rape anybody, you know, yeah. like, and if, if, you know, so let's like not do that. Uh, and number two, if you've made some piece of artwork and then you sexually assault somebody or whatever, this seems to be, it's, it's almost always sexual assault. Like, and nobody cares about murder. Like, you know, no. the baby, the baby has shot like three people now, like two, in, <laughs> two, like two in a Walmart and nobody gives a single fuck about that. Like Dave Chappelle did a bit about this, you know, yeah. about like, you know, and, and to me, like without bringing up the part where he's talking about like saying all kinds of crazy uh, homophobic shit, the motherfucker shot three people and no one cares. Like, so I mm-hmm. feel like you could probably kill someone as a director and still have your your movie play you know i mean look at black metal i think mayhem still plays right or oh yeah i can't i can't remember who oh that guy var i guess that guy varg is beyond the pale oh dude varg got varg has he's a, out varg has yeah. a fucking tabletop game he made and in that wow. game uh being a different nationality uh, denotes you different uh like attributes isn't that it's how D is anyway i know right <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. You really confront racism in D and D, but in this one, there's no orcs or anything. It's just like, oh, oh if you're a woman, humans. you have less strength. Yeah. Didn't he release yeah. records when he was in prison? Yeah, Varg's a hack. Yeah. He, he also like he's the type of dude that uh you know would record music in prison and they would take his drum away. Also, what's prison in Norway? I a rehab. I don't know. Yeah. It looks it looks like a lot like a junior studio in San Francisco for a tech worker. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> no, but literally that full, he had his drum confis- confiscated and he was like, yeah, I don't record with the drum anymore because it's an African instrument. Oh, and it's like, you hack, shut up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess that dude had a big internet presence for a while. Yeah. It's just like, it's just it's amazing. I mean, there, yeah, I, it's weird to me that I don't like how many people could have possibly cared about that? I, I have a feeling you, did you ever see private parts, the Howard Stern show, private part movie, for private parts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's, there's the scene where they talk about how like people who like him listen for half an hour, people who hate him listen for two hours. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the only reason why people like that stay in our culture. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. You sit with Trump every day. Yeah. That's Still. why we, we try to be so offensive on here. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get some people to hang out. Yeah, we were originally going to try to be like, we were thinking like, oh, we'd be like more edgy, more offensive. We just didn't have it in us for our show. Like eventually it was just like Mark and I like having a pleasant conversation (laughs) and not arguing. Oh, you know, there's a thing. um, Again, I'm going to go to Hitchcock Truffaut here where Truffaut was talking about how Hitchcock was the best at like filming a menage a trois where he would get like two great Hollywood actors and allow the audience to like be nestled right in between them as they made out. And that's how I feel with your podcast. I fucking, I'm so, I'm such a fanboy of Scary Thoughts. And I think part of it is, again, I, I wanted to do that kind of thing where it's like, oh, let's watch, a, let's watch Veronica and like really try and like intellectualize over this. Except one, I'm an idiot. So I could have never pulled that off. But two, I enjoy hearing you guys do it more because I think you two are just like, I don't know, you come off as very authentic. Now, I don't know. Mark seems a little bit more guarded than you, but I, well, for most of the episodes, I'm extremely high. So there's like (laughs) no guard at all. Like somebody was like a friend of mine's on a road trip right now and she's listening to old episodes and she was sending me some quote. I said, I was like, I, what is that? I don't know what that's from. She's like, Oh, you literally said that on this episode. 
And I'm like, I have no memory of it at all. Like I have no memory of most of our episodes. The last year I've been uh, off the weed, which has been a mistake. Um, <laughs> and I what, think our episodes this year aren't as good. What as prompted good. that, Chad? Well, I'm like a all day, every day kind of dude. And yeah. uh, I was thinking that maybe there were some problems or, you know, really like my life was going awesome. Like I have like a great career, like a, in shape, you know, like by any metric, you would not think I was a loser. Um, but I was like feeling like a loser for some reason. It's like, oh, I have this dependency. So I was like, I'm going to go a whole year. I'm going to do transcendental meditation instead of smoking weed. And uh, weed is better, man. Like all meditation is stupid. Like I'll go ahead. <laughs> so September 6th is <laughs> September 6th is my year mark, and I'm going to have a major rager. Like it's going to be like a, a like a totally obscene weed party. So you just went straight cold Turkey. There was no, yeah. Weaning off. yeah, I don't believe in weaning off when you stop stuff. I think like, like cold Turkey is the only way for anything yeah. and you want to stop. All right. Now you talked about doing TM and mm-hmm. what about TM when you're high? I, so, so I haven't tried it. I'm going to try it out a few times, see what's up. But, uh, but you know, they, the TM people are like, pr- mostly pretty anti-drug like when you when you do the first tm course uh they want you to like be like two weeks with, uh, without any influence of anything they they prefer you to not even drink caffeine for a few days oh, so right. you can yeah Chad, so i have to ask feel. now transcendental meditation is something that david lynch has talked about forever and i mm. i love david lynch it's why we fly him out every week then uh is he not a weed guy who David Lynch? Yeah, he's a coffee no, guy. Yeah, he, he's he smoked yeah. weed. Like I've, I've read, like every book you can read about David Lynch, and he always talks about like how he he smoked weed a few times when he was in art school and just w- didn't care for it too much. I think because back in the sixties, weed was whack; it wasn't as strong yeah. as it is now. Um, <laughs> but we gotta hook him up. Sure. Yeah. Well, then you know, then I had uh, watched a long video where Jerry Seinfeld was talking about doing TM. And how mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I don't understand. He was, he straight up was like, I don't understand how regular people get through the day. And he was saying he was really against it. Like that, everything always rings true when people talk about it. So then when I heard one of my favorite podcasters, Chad Lott, had tricked his company into funding his TM excursion, I was like, Take do I have good. to do this thing? So I, it sounds a little culty to me, Chad. Right. So, you, yeah. So the back end, like I, I don't have any love for the transcendental meditation organization at all. Like I think the the Maharishi was goofy. I think the organization is like pretty loosey goosey with their financing. I think it's incredibly expensive for, for what it is. Um, like you know, I write about meditation and mindfulness stuff for work sometimes. So I have like personal development funds that I can use. I was like, oh, I just want to go see how this is taught. And my company was like, cool. And I would say that it, it was a good investment for them just based in, on, in content that I was able to turn around. So no, no bad feelings there. But I was totally brought like roped in because of celebrities, you know, like David Lynch, yeah. uh, Howard Stern, the Jerry Seinfeld, Ray Dalio. Like there's all these people I really, really respect. Uh, there's another podcaster named Adisa Benjoko who does uh, the hip hop I can't remember what it is. I think the show is called the Bishop Chronicles now, but it's all about like hip hop and jujitsu and chess. And he, I was talking to him. He said, dude, it changed my life. I was like, Oh, well, that's a pretty strong recommendation from somebody I really respect. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I who knows, maybe I'll stop doing it and then my life will fall apart. But <laughs> a, <laughs> a meditation practice that I like a lot more 
is this thing called the artist way, which is, uh, if you look at the book, it looks like the cheesiest book ever, but you basically write three freehand stream of consciousness pages every day. And it's like a writing practice. And I, I've found that that has been awesome for me. So I'm not like against like some sort of like mindful practice. I just, I think drugs are better. All right. Now, but what is it? What is TM? Like, can you talk um, about it at all? I know they make you yeah, take a totally. vow. Yeah. I, yeah. I like, I like keeping vows of secrecy, so I won't explain it too deeply. I will say that it is all See, available is on the internet. Um, but basically oh. they give you a mantra. <laughs> they, they give you a mantra like which which is supposed to be unique to you or whatever they kind of pitch it as like they interview you for a little while but the reality is it's just it corresponds to your age there's a chart and you can go look that up i would recommend not looking it up if you want to be into because like i i feel like if you know a little bit more about it it doesn't do its purpose which is supposed to just be a sound that you repeat in your head over and over again that creates like almost like a white noise that blocks out other stuff so say it was like coffee you go coffee 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 over and over in your brain and it does relax you quite a bit um but i wouldn't say that i had any i was looking for like you know david lynch talks about like the expanding consciousness that you'll feel that'll allow you to be more creative than ever before i can't say that i felt that but it, <laughs> it but it hasn't even been a year you know but he talks about like the very first time i did it i went into another dimension of creativity and like so I was like, oh, sold, you know, and that was not the case for me anyway. So they, so TM markets towards the creative. Um, I think it's like, it would be happy to be marketed with anybody, but like it's most popular moment was in the late sixties and they, they really rode the coattails of the Beatles popularity. Like George Harrison was a lifelong transcendental meditation practitioner and all the Beatles at different points um, were into it. Um, and I, I think I might follow a little bit more on like John Lennon's take on it, which he was like, he's like, yeah, this is cool, but there's a bunch of different ways to get to the state that don't require dogma or, or practices or anything like yeah. that. And, you know, I think about a lot, like Terrence McKenna tells this story. He used to tell this story and Terrence McKenna was a, like a famous psychedelic writer. Uh, there was a, a monk meditating, meditating on shore of a river. And after 40 years of meditation, he was able to levitate, go across the river and land on the other side of the shore. And when he got to the other side, the first person he saw was a farmer. And he says, oh, my God, I have finally achieved enlightenment. After 40 years, I was able to cross this river with the power of my own mind. And the farmer says, I don't know if you know this, but the, uh, the ferry is right there and it cost a nickel. And, <laughs> and Terrence McKenna's point was that like drugs were the ferry. And I, I kind of agree. Oh, I like that. That's fucking good. Now, Chad, I'm a little worried about you because uh, the subtext of scary thoughts when I'm listening to it is that you have a building antagonism with the, uh, the genre of horror films that mm -hmm. uh, you guys cover. And I'm worried that one day you're just going to quit it. Well, I mean, part of my building antagonism is I just, I, like in my personal life, I don't concentrate that much on horror movies anymore. Like horror movies were deeply important to a period of my life. And, you know, one of my favorite kinds of movies is a horror comedy. Like I, that's probably like my favorite thing to watch ever, but you know, I liked once upon a time in Hollywood more than any horror movie I've seen in the last 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would probably rather talk about that movie 
for two hours than uh, Malignant. But, you know, <laughs> we're doing a horror movie show, so. Yeah, I don't know. What, what happens when you feel trapped by your own, your own premise? Well, part of it's like it's what Mark likes to talk about. And like, I like talking to Mark about it a lot. So I'll always do the show as long as Mark wants to do the heavy lifting of editing it. And, you know, it, it, I always, I mean, you listen to the show. I, I always pretty much drag it off topic from the film. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I spent more time. We have an episode about Evil Dead coming out, which was to, is totally to my liking, you know. So I read Bruce Campbell's book and listen to every director commentary. And that's the deepest I've gone in on a horror movie in a really long time. But I, I would say I've done more research on Smokey and the Bandit recently than any horror movie over the last year. Don't you dare bring up Smokey yeah. and the Bandit. Yeah. Also, it's totally wrong. When we were talking before, I had a DM chat and I'm like, is there anything you've watched recently that you'd want to talk about? And you basically said what you just said, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. And I responded, I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. I, it's one of those titles that uh, bores me from the title. And then mm -hmm. I told Clark what you said, and he said, you saw that fucking movie at a theater with me. So I, I have seen it. <laughs> I believe, uh, was that when uh, the Alamo was doing the whole? No, so they, yeah, they had a Burt Reynolds marathon. And they brought the Glorious. filmmaker who, who did um, the documentary. Oh, about right. Burt yep. Reynolds and Hal Needham and their friendship. And we watched that and then the followed bandit. up the bandit. Yes. Yeah. Followed up by Smokey and the bandit. Then you guys left. <laughs> I stayed for Gator. Right? Uh, Gator yeah. was next Ooh. followed by, um, God damn it. The longest yard. <sighs> yeah. So that was the Burt Reynolds marathon. Yeah, it was cool. That was back when the Alamo would do things like, uh, serve fried Gator. For Gator. And they sold it? And it was fantastic. It was good. Yeah. Also, uh, for those of you who have been listening for way too long to this show, our original engineer joined us, Nilo. And I believe when we picked him up, he looked very rough. And we're like, dude, what the fuck? Like, he, he claimed he had a cocaine hangover. Yeah, you were like, you got a cocaine over? What did you have, like a 12-year-old party? He's like, no, cocaine. Yeah. And we're like, oh, that's even weirder, honestly. But yeah, so he tried to he tried to order Pedialyte at the uh, Alamo. You know, smoking the bandit did uh, that experience did turn me on to uh, banquet. I'm a fan of a uh, Coors banquet now. Oh, the banquet beer, yeah, because beautiful, gotta, beautiful packaging. I love I love the beige cans. But Chad, what what perpetuated this smoking the bandit thing? Well, I uh, I, I rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and even though I listened to like a million episodes of podcasts about it, I'd never really picked up on that. Like the Cliff Booth character is Hal Needham, and I was like, wait a minute. And then um, I was like, oh, crazy. And so I watched The Bandit, the documentary, and then I'm reading Hal Needham's biography right now, Stuntman, which is amazing, and. Uh, yeah, so I just went down that, started watching Smoking the Bandit, and then I started watching all like videos about the different cars and the the Lamborghini Countach. There's an hour and forty five minute documentary about just that car. Uh, so I, I'm in deep on it, and then, you know, of course, it's just a hop and a skip to the Cannonball Run movies, and sure. then you know, the actual existence of the people beating the Cannonball Run times right now during COVID is pretty incredible. And then uh, Hooper did did they do Hooper together? Was that yeah, I, think he, I think he direct I, I think he directed Hooper. Yeah, yeah. See, growing up, 
Burt Reynolds was the guy. So, yeah, totally. like, um, yeah. and, um, you know, even at my age, um, it was just, you know, he was ubiquitous and smoking the bandit. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just what we watched when, you know, you were of an age where you could appreciate that it was, you know, smoking the bandit, um, the Holy grail and fucking blazing saddles. Like that <laughs> yeah. was like the Holy Trinity. Yeah. That's pretty much like the three movies I remember the most watching. Um, and, and people now like don't really realize, but like Burt Reynolds was like the Brad Pitt of his day. Oh yeah. You know, pro- probably even more so I, I think cause there were, were less like explicit sex symbols around than him. You know, he did that centerfold in cosmopolitan, which was the first major male star being naked in a magazine. And it was supposed to like ruin his career. Like people were like, Oh my God, you've just committed suicide. And instead he moistened the panties of the nation and went on to like superstardom. <laughs> and was infinitely watchable. You plug him in because he's been in uh, just a infinite number of pieces of trash. And he's yeah. just, it's like, he's likable. You can't help but, you know, um, he's just in and out of, in, you know what I understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> enigmatic. There we go. Uh, yeah. It's, it's I wonder. Love it. You wonder how he would have been remembered if he had been more careful about roles like Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like, like I mean, like Brad Pitt only really has Meet Joe Black as a stinker. I think pretty much everything else is really successful. Um, eh, World War Z. <laughs> yeah, I think he's good in it, though. You know, I, I don't yes. think it's uh, not like a, a phenomenal movie, but he's fine. He couldn't save it. it. He couldn't save it for me. <laughs> no, I mean that that all that CGI nonsense is just too much. You know, in that movie. I fucking hate that movie. But, <laughs> I but, man, but I love that book. That audio book is great. Like you're listening to it and you're like, Oh, all the different voice actors and stuff. It's, it's a really, if you're an audio book person, it's really worth your, worth your eight bucks or whatever. Well, Mel Brooks son, he wrote that book. Did he not? Yeah. 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 Max. Man, yeah, you know, he, go ahead, Chad. Oh, he wrote a, a pretty good graphic novel about, um, black world war two veterans called the Harlem Hellfighters. Max Brooks, check him out. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I am not a Burt Reynolds fan, and growing up, I'm a West Coast elite, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And when we live over here on our ivory tower uh, shrouded in fog, we look across the country and mostly think there's a lot of flyover states, right? So when we look at like Burt Reynolds, it's like, who's that fucking drunk? Like I grew up and my nobody in my family gave a shit. I had one grandfather deeply into westerns how is that uh, genetically possible is there there incest (laughs) (laughs) probably it can explain a lot and you know he was into wrestling and and westerns wrestling yeah and i used to think he was a fool and i remember growing i was like who the fuck is the most boring shit i feel like every grandfather has to be in the westerns only only yeah so i only knew one and he was he was removed it was like step family but then i i reached a certain age i'm like fuck i'm into both of those now and I would have loved mm-hmm. to talk to him. Yeah. And just hearing you and Chad talk about this, I realize how easily uh, swayed I am by a group where it's like, hey, let's watch uh, Burt Reynolds in anything. I'm like, hey, if you guys are into it, I'm down. Like, I would totally watch it right now. On my own, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But I can't yeah. Well, I mean, she, I, people really on the coast really sleep on the South and how great it is. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you think about like, they, they played Smokey and the Bandit 
to like New York critics and they were like, this is the worst movie we've ever seen. What the fuck? You know, you guys are, this is not worth $4 million you paid for it. I think Burt Reynolds got like three of that $4 million. And Hal Needham was like, just release it in the South. And it goes down there that year to be beaten by only one movie in the box office, which was Star Wars. And it was really close to it. So, um, yeah, I think Smoking the Banner, it's great. Like, it's really culturally important in my opinion, maybe not in other people's opinion. <laughs> You're totally but, right. And, and, you know, yeah. not to mention one of the greatest comedic performers of any time, Jackie Gleason. Yeah. Who just has free range. Yeah. Well, and and they basically know. said, hey, will you be in this movie? And Jackie Gleason is like, why would I ever be in this piece of shit? And <laughs> Hal Needham tells him, you can say whatever you want to say. Like, the script, you can do the entire script. So most of the most of his dialogue is Jackie Gleason's dialogue. And it's one of the early examples of a director reviving someone's career because Jackie Gleason hadn't done shit in years. Yeah. So it, he was kind of like, you know, the equivalent of uh, Tarantino and uh, what's his name? The Scientology dude. <laughs> Travolta. <laughs> Travolta. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just relaunch his career. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I really do owe you two a lot of thanks for that because uh, Clark used to give me shit about it all the time for being like, it's it's weird because, you know, we grew up in like a, a vastly liberal city, yet I was completely prejudiced to most of the country. And as somebody who I think a lot about culture and I really like it and I think it's important, I ignored American culture like wholeheartedly. I just like discounted it. I, I didn't. And even now, I'm well, it's, it's not your fault. It's your no, it's your I, sanctimonious state. No, from I get where you're it. From. But um, it's it's funny because the thing that makes me still like the Bay Area, which has been a struggle to try and find it, is a lot of transplants like you guys, like local people around here. I'm just kind of like if you grew up here and you're like me, it's kind of like not the person I want to talk to. Well, I, I really like more. I like Bay Area locals because they're basically like Southerners. You know, they got like football tattoos on their necks and like they drive Harleys <laughs> and shit, you know, like a local like San Francisco guy is totally enjoyable you know like some mix of like samoan and filipino and mexican and like yeah makes great food is fun to hang out with like when i was working at like hip-hop clubs like that was like a a huge population that i i was around when i first moved here and i it's been mostly displaced by the uh you know the tech drone yeah the inauthentic yeah well and you're totally right those dudes are rad, and as a uh, former huge uh, sports fan, I hung out with them a lot. But then I kind of, you know, somebody told me I was adult for getting into horror, and I made this shift into, like, analyzing art, which I still mm. don't do very well. And, you know, it's, it's weird because I'm, like, struggling to find culture and interesting conversations about art and how it affects people, except I ignored most of American uh, history and culture, like, just flatly. And uh, it's funny because Chad... Uh, posted a book about um, uh, John Johnston, the crow killer, and mm. I just finished it. And man, I've never been so patriotic feeling after reading that book because essentially it's about, you know, a mountain man who's like a character written by Robert E. Howard just fucking around in like Montana. And I'm just like, dude, America's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's weird. I just feel like I had my eyes closed or something. While you're reading, that's not. Good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's look real. at this. Yeah, Braille. Randy was like me. He was an he was a West Coast elite, and then uh, now he moved to Atlanta and bought a house. Look, his whole life has changed. He's much happier. 
I don't know about that part, but yeah, all that <laughs> other stuff is true. I also was never a Burt Reynolds guy, um, and I've, I don't know what I've seen him in, really, until this morning when I watched Smokey and the Bandit. Randy, already you watched Smokey oh and the God. Bandit hold today? On, hold on, let that be a tease. Did you move furniture out? I'm getting a lot of reverb in your room now. No. Right? Am I crazy? He's, he is a little echoey. Yeah, you're in the well now, dude. Don't don't oh. fix it. It's fine. It's fine, Randy. All right, Randy, get, uh, give us a little. Uh, what do you think of Smokey and the Bandit? First impressions. Uh, it's fine. I, I was doing some other things while it was on too. That's so. that's, that's about what I expected. <laughs> like Russell, you know, I uh, I was reluctant to watch a straight up Burt Reynolds film all by myself. So I had some distance between myself and the film while I uh, was doing some things I needed to get done. But Randy, it's much more. That don't get me wrong. I love me some Burt Reynolds, but it's much more than just Burt Reynolds. We get, you know, we got Jerry Reed sprinkles in there. We got Paul Williams. Come on. I mean, yeah, they're great. Sally <laughs> Field. <laughs> Sally Field's great. Sally Field. Uh, her I don't, know, Sally cars. Fields, I don't really care about cars, you know. So just it's whatever. Yeah. One one of the things I think I I like about Smoking the Bandit is what I like about Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two is you can tell that people were having fun while they made it. Sure. And it's what I don't like about black metal is it seems like no one is having fun <laughs> while they make it. Like Mark and I are probably our longest standing argument. The thing that we've gotten into maybe the largest argument outside of the, outside of the show is that I think the U S black metal book is terrible and he loves it. Uh, and it's like a 500 page, literally a textbook about the American black metal scene. And I, I think the thing about it is like nothing fun has happened in black metal since that murder that happened in the nineties. And, <laughs> and it's like, you would never want to hang out and party with any of these people. Cause they're fucking they're like, I'm angry and dark. And like, Oh really? And your dark angriness is manifested in the exact same kind of music as these other 20 dark, angry people. It's like, what you know, w- w- this isn't real outsider art, man. It's like, it's like a, a mimetic copy of a, a particular mode of being angsty. Um, and I like the aesthetic of it. Like I like a hot black metal girl just as much as anybody else. Uh, but compare that book to Motley Crue's The Dirt and which <laughs> band would you rather be in? <laughs> but yeah. based on what I, I mean, can Norwegians have fun in general? Is it a fun <laughs> country? You know, there, there's no sunlight for most of the year. I don't know what's going on over well, there. Well, he's specifically talking about the American scene that sprung up as like an echo of that. Oh, okay. and you yeah. know, like the original black metal stuff is kind of like in contrast to the church, right? Like it's a lot of like 99% Lutheran and then you get people rebelling, which, you know, there's authentic, uh, like that's art and it's outsider art, but he's totally right. You know, over here it's, you get people who are in a black metal band, but then they're also running an art gallery and you're like, Hmm. I don't know if that really gives you any street cred and it's kind of like, yeah. And here's the thing. And this, this is the same thing with tabletop. I almost operate in an in-between mode where it's like, you have to take it seriously. Like if you're going to be in a black metal band, it can't be a joke, but you also have to be self-aware in a way that you would never admit. Like you have to know it's stupid too, or it's not real and kind of walk this line. That's impossible to walk. I've gotten into many arguments out here on Polk Street about like taking like the whole like uh, death to false metal kind of line because mm-hmm. it's like at what point is it dumb and everybody's uh, partying and having a joke and at what point are you like murdering your drummer 
and taking pictures of him for an album cover. Like I got to be yeah. in there somewhere. And murdering your drummer is useless anyway, because as per Spinal Tap, they just tend to die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you catching a case over something that's going to happen naturally? Yeah. But who were who some influential American black metal groups? Well, I mean, the, in in the Bay Area, we have like a couple really great ones. Like, I mean, like the closest you get to like outsider art is a uh, probably Leviathan yeah. is is a, oh, okay. is a local black metal band. And then, uh, you know, it, as much as I sound like, uh, you know, glorification of the redneck, I actually like the art rock style of black metal more. Like, there's a band called Liturgy that is. I think they have like a PhD artist statement or something like that, you know, and it's this like trans performance artist that runs the one thing to me, that's more interesting because it's so weird. Uh, but to just throw on the same corpse paint, everybody else has, I don't know, but there's, there's some of the ambient stuff in the Northwest that comes out of the Pacific Northwest. That is kind of interesting because it's starting to become more like soundtrack music, but to just do what mayhem did over and over again. I, I just don't understand that. It, I mean, it's the same as like, you know, there's a thousand no effects clones, you know, <laughs> Randy, don't be offended. No. And you know, Chad, you hit on something I think about a lot. Also, I'd recommend if you are actually interested in like, uh, like modern metal vice did a like little series on one man metal. And they have, uh, the author who makes Leviathan, he's one like, man metal, one man mm-hmm. metal. There's three videos on YouTube that you can watch and they're good. And, uh, that dude's a part of it. The Leviathan guy. Yeah. Um, and I would say like, as I'm making a blanket blanket statement about the boringness of black metal, but like, like anything, it's not monolithic, you know, like yeah. I, I tend to not like new rap music. Like to me, like the, the height of hip hop was the Wu-Tang clan, but I'm also an old person. So like all this new, <laughs> like, so if you're younger than like 30, you're going to have a totally different experience with all this stuff. And and that opinion is as valid, if not more valid than mine, because I'll be dead soon. Well, yeah, but Mumblecore is shit. Let's be, let's be very clear. The, the direction of, of, of modern hip hop is. I kinda, yeah. I, I kind of yeah. like it. Yeah. Look, man, I'm on the same page, but that stuff does give birth to later stuff. Like, uh, you know, then you have like Zillakami who is this totally new school, barely intelligible horror core, <laughs> horror core rapper who's all into like breaking into haunted places in North Korea or not North Korea in South Korea and playing airsoft and having horror movie face tattoos and shit and sampling Slayer beats. Like, like, so it, it's always an evolution. It, it's never static. And we also get the Island boys. Yeah. <laughs> that's right after so that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay, one, I don't want to skip over the fact that Randy had to correct you on mumble rap because mumble core is one of his favorite types mumble of mumble rap. That's yeah. what I meant. But he, he had to fix it because he always mentions his best friend mumble Corey on the show whenever he uh, is articulating a movie's tone. Um, who the fuck is Zillakami? I don't want to brush over that because it sounds like somebody I might get very oh, into. Oh, dude, you'll, you'll be super into it. He's this dude. Oh, he's, got, like, he's got like fucking goblin teeth. Um, and he's, you know, he grew up, uh, he was kind of like, I think maybe wrote some songs for Takashi six, nine. So he's kind of a Northeast rap dude, but his, his Instagram page is super fun. It's always him with like flak jackets. It's a very like, like African warlord meets tank girl meets Wu-Tang sort of aesthetic, but he's, but he's really young. 
Uh, and when you in his interviews, he doesn't sound at all like you would expect him to sound. He's like this very thoughtful anime airsoft guy, <laughs> you oh, know. But his but his music is I I like I like it a lot. It it, it reminds me of if somebody just decided that they were going to make a like a like a post drill rap reference to uh, the judgment night soundtrack. I didn't get any of that. <laughs> you have to walk me through that whole thing. Are you familiar with the judgment night soundtrack? No. Judgment okay, night. So, so there's this movie, a terrible movie with Dennis Leary that came out in the nineties called judgment night. And it was about like three guys in an RV going to some sporting event and they get the RV breaks down in the inner city and they have to go fight their way through the inner city to get back to the suburbs or whatever they're doing. Uh, the movie is completely forgettable. The soundtrack is incredible. Uh, you have like, cause it was a bunch of like metal bands mixed up with hip hop. And I think it might be responsible for the eventual, um, like new metal wave, which was pretty terrible, but this album was really great. Like you had like uh, run DMC and living color. Ice T did a song with Slayer. Uh, Biohazard and Onyx did the main theme song, Judgment Night, which was great. And I remember when that song, when that album came out, I was like, oh, this is the future of music. And it just <laughs> never emerged. Uh, or it became like Limp Biscuit or something like yeah. that, which, which was terrible. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was super fun. There's a Pearl Jam Cypress Hill song on it that's really great. So uh, Dennis Leary calls Limp Biscuit. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Also, you're totally right. I've definitely, every time this movie comes up in conversation, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I look it up. I'm like, oh, I've definitely seen this movie. Yeah. It is completely forgettable. Although I do love the premise of people driving to a sporting event and then getting stuck in traffic and like abandoning the car, which I believe happened in the remake of House of Wax, too. So all all great movies have that premise. I think um, it happened every weekend at a Raiders game, too. <laughs> <laughs> now... Chat, it's funny because the thing that I like about Scary Thoughts is, you know, you're taking a look at genre and, you know, honestly, it could be anything, but it, it happens to be horror, which I like. But I think the problem you're articulating with like black metal music, too, is a similar thing where, you know, out here in the Bay Area, here's a little bit of my local culture. Uh, we kind of gave birth to thrash metal, which uh, is one of my favorite subgenres of metal. And there's a huge problem with it. The parameters are so strict that there's not a lot of uh, evolution within this subgenre. And at a certain point, when you're like analyzing or collecting a lot of this music, you ha you're confronted with it. And yeah. Like, yeah, that's the that that's for people who are like obsessed with taxonomies. You know, like I mean, the big four thrash metal bands are fucking great. You know, mm -hmm. like all that music is awesome and it inspired all this other stuff that is really good too. But to be somebody who like kind of comes up and goes, I want to be in a thrash metal band. It yeah. seems really limiting in a way. Um, no, you're totally right. And yeah. I feel like um, even though the visual medium is a much more collaborative art form, when we're playing around in horror, we kind of are confronted with that too. And there's like cycles and, you know, we're in, you know, at the same time, I want to argue against myself because I feel like with horror, you can do anything, which is one of the reasons why I like it. Mm -hmm. But we do end up in kind of a, uh, you know, repeating cycle where you watch a movie and you're like, I feel like I've seen this whole thing played out before. 
And I don't know. You think that feeds into any of your like boredom there or like that old guy attitude of the evil dead's better than anything made on Netflix in the past three years. Yeah. I mean, there's also economics at play, you know, like with the type, the types of things that Netflix is investing in. I mean, David Cronenberg just had a, uh, an interview where he talked about this, that like Netflix will only invest in certain types of films. They're the only people really investing heavily in films. Therefore we're only going to see these certain types of films. Um, but at the same time, everybody, at every generation and every art form ever has this like end of history moment where they're like, Oh, it's over. And then you get a uh, public enemy or the sugar Hill gang out of nowhere, you know? So I, I think to me, when things get really stale and lame, I get sort of excited. Like I do two things. I stop giving it my money cause go fuck them. And then <laughs> the other, and I, and my attention as well. And then I just wait for some young radical to come up with something fucking rad. You know, because it always happens and always will happen. Dude, you know, I, uh, I, I'll i recommend a movie that uh, me and Clark really loved that is called Horror Movie, A Low-Budget Nightmare. Um, it's, about, it's kind of a little uh, American movie where it's a guy making a low-budget horror film and just the struggle. Like his buddy filmed the whole thing, who's an actual uh, documentarian. And the reason I recommend it is the third act. There's this really sobering revelation because we get through the movie and it's made and it's called uh, Red Christmas. Did I say that right? I know I always fuck that. Name okay. Red Christmas. And in the third act, there's this weird sobering conclusion where after the movie's done, uh, our buddy Craig Anderson tries to market it. And he's like, holy shit, I have no ideas. Or I had no idea how actually selling a movie works. And he goes to this really boring corporate building and he's watching a seminar and he's like, holy shit, you have to make a movie for the market. And it's literally what you're just talking about. And in the movie, it kind of plays like a revelation. Like, oh, you can make a movie and sell it. It just has to be the movie they want. And I, I just remember thinking like, it's kind of tragic because he made the movie he wanted. And it, mm-hmm. it's not that it, he got D Wallace in it and he flies her out to Australia. And it's, I mean, the horror movie, a low budget nightmare is a great movie, but it kind of ends with like the death of uh, that Indian genuity or like just yeah. making the art you want. Well, you sort of can't have it both ways, you know, like you can, do you want to be a completely independent auteur artist or do you want to, you know, own a home? <laughs> and it, it, and the only time that Venn diagram, Venn diagram overlaps is in moments of true genius. And if you identify yourself as not a true genius, which none of us are, um, you have to make that kind of decision a little bit, you know? Yeah. You know, that's another interesting topic that you guys always get into. You, you and Mark had it out and you know, it's funny. Um, we've had chat on the show. We got to get Mark on here. He can come on. Yeah. You just got to schedule it. He's a busy motherfucker though. So, and you know, who knows, uh, in another reality where I think what we first started talking to you, Chad, I think I reached out to y'all trying to get you to come to a unnamed footage fest and you came and Mark was busy Mm -hmm. and who knows if it was the other way around, we might be here with Mark right now, but anyway, I'm go ahead. Yeah, he's very busy now. He had his his wife Monique's book tour has been really a big deal. I totally rec- if you're into Sam, I know you guys talk about like drag shows quite a bit, but his his wife Monique, uh, who performs as Phonique, 
wrote a book about the the early drag scene in San Francisco and growing up in it. It's very much about like tranny shack and the stud. Um, it is wonderful. I would I recommend anybody getting it. And then Mark has been really busy with his album with Andy Connors. He has a band called My Heart is an Inverted Flame, and they've been putting out an EP every month for like a year. And now it's like available as this total collection. If you get the whole collection, you get a bonus EP. And he uh, he does that band with Andy Connors, who used to own uh, Aquarius Records. And uh, I, they just played their first and only live show ever. And it was wild to see. Like, I listen to that music to drown out my wife's calls. It's just this <laughs> epic, doomy, uh, noisy like just cool music and i was like man this is for like eight nerds his show was like tons of people and there were like all these like hot girls like dancing arrhythmically in the front row i was like how's this even possible like (laughs) i mean they're great you know and then andy connors is like a fucking orc on the drums just like it sounds like he's like trying to like kill every villager when he's playing it's so good and then mark he plays these like totally weird rare synths through just massive orange amplifiers that like a stoner rock band would use. Oh, yeah. uh, so it, it's phenomenal, but he's been doing that and he's going to school now uh, to become a therapist, which I think he's been practicing on me for years now. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, uh, I love those podcasts. You have Andy Connors on um, me and Oksana used to go to Aquarius records as a uh, kind of when you're in a, uh, like a rut with metal because Andy, he would review everything and on every album, he would write a little like pitch, like a personal handwritten one. And every now and then you could go to like a horror convention and people will do that with like indie horror. And it just changes the product completely because you're mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, I, I kind of know what to expect. And because it's handwritten, I could probably go ask him. Yeah. I mean, dude, how many how many blind buys have we done at Aquarius? <laughs> right. And I was so bummed when they were gone. So I, I don't know. I love I love those episodes. Also, I bought Phonique's book. As uh, so, we watch a lot of drag over here. I know you know that, Chad. And I could never wrap my head around uh, female drag, and mm-hmm. I used to be like actively against it because I thought it was like appropriating gay culture. Yeah. So I'm yeah. gonna read it, and I gotta, I gotta weigh into that. I feel yeah, like it, you'll, I, I don't know that anybody else would be better to be in conversation with that with that topic than than I, than Phonique. I figured it's in my queue, but okay. Yeah. Tangent aside, the one thing I wanted to get to was you and uh, Mark, you had this conversation about creating great art, and you made an argument that hurt my soul, where you said, uh, I believe you you used, uh, fuck, it was like music, and you're like, who do you think is going to make better music? Somebody that listened to like all classic uh, bands and great geniuses, or somebody who grew up with like Slipknot and Dave Grohl or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. although, and I'm like... Ah, you're fucking right. But as you know, I love Dave Grohl. I know you do. Yeah. But here's the thing. We we weighed into like indie. I believe one time you called us the trash pandas of bad horror. With I'm I'm paraphrasing there. But I I so on their show, he they mentioned a faux doc. And I was like, dude, you can't find a weird faux doc and not pitch it to us because we could potentially show that mm. in a film fest. And you're just like, God, you will really watch anything. And you had well, some. <laughs> my, well, my, my the reason why I called you guys the, the raccoons of independent horror cinema was that you guys go fi- not because you'll just sit there and eat anything, but like you'll go dig for this stuff that is worth getting in the most unlikely of places. Um, and I, I think it's cool. But but as far as like influences go, I just think 
yeah, there's some genius out there that only listens to the most vanilla music you could ever imagine, right? And produces something cool or like somebody who's like, man, I just really only was inspired by Lisa Frank and now they're like a crazy psychedelic artist. Uh, <laughs> but I think those are, that's again, like th- those are geniuses, you know, they're, they're exceptions to the rules and they're out there and their, their purpose is to inspire us and frustrate us with the wonderment they produce. Um, but if you're just like a journeyman artist or musician or something like that, um, it's garbage in garbage out in my opinion. Yeah. I, I don't know. That bums me out. And I think, you know, I think it's a little bit different because when we're playing around, like we deal in in world camera cinema, right? We watch a lot of found footage horror. I don't know if I would ever strive to try and make a like genius groundbreaking cultural shift of a movie, but mm. I would like to make a genius groundbreaking cultural shift of a found footage movie where like if you weigh deep in that genre, you could appreciate that film. And maybe it wouldn't really work for casual people, but like, you know, if you're really cute, dialed in on Burt Reynolds movies, you can appreciate when somebody does something a little uh, off balance or kind of like, um, what the fuck? What is the movie? Rooster Cogburn. Um, True Grit. Mm-hmm. Like how what they did with John Wayne, where it's like, hey, we're going to have a fat John Wayne who's on the way out, but he's still he's in a Western. And, you know, you're playing with the genre at that point. I think yeah. I, I think that's what I'm most interested in. But that's also very true to the book, like True Grit. Like True Grit is an amazing book. And it has one of the best, uh, like, female main characters of any book I've ever read. The little girl is incredible in the book. And the, the, the Coen Brothers movie is very close to the tone of the book. Um, but e- even then, like, it's reference, you know, like, like yeah. what, what's being referenced here. Um, but, yeah, and, and also, you know, I, I think one of the things that I – you know, obviously I have a show, so I think I want people to listen to what I have to say, but to think that I'm like an authority and that because I don't like Slipknot is a reason not to consider them for someone to consider them great art. It would, would be incorrect. You know, like that band's important to somebody like not me, but somebody. Yeah. And there's something weird there with Slipknot too, because now I went deep. Oh God, there were two days of my life where I organized all of my digital library by a uh, very autistic deep like sub sub genres of metal and when you come across a band like slipknot i would mostly try to categorize stuff by either uh technical sound or like cultural mm-hmm. impact and when you deal with like a band like slipknot which would you go for because you could go like rap metal like kind of like new metal stuff or you could iowa well i kind of ca- I, I put them under shock rock which is weird but you think about it and it's like it's mostly about being at the live show. Who, who are they in there with in your shock rock? Um, shock rock. I would say like, even though Ozzy is like a great heavy metal act, I would say he's more of a performer. Alice Cooper. Yep. Like these kind, you know what I mean? Like it's more like Guar even like, even mm-hmm. though Guar wouldn't fit Morrissey technically, yeah, Morrissey, especially now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, God, Morrissey, you know, you, you shouldn't open that door. I feel bad for the dude because <laughs> he's one of those guys that everybody like heralded for being different. And then hasn't changed, and now they've completely flipped on him to the point where in the Bay Area they were protesting his shows, and you know I, our former third chair, chair Justin, he went, and he was just like he's so emotional, and he was just like man, I felt bad for him, and he was up there like yelling at the crowd, like I didn't change, you did, and I'm like, part of me loves that, yeah. like I would love to be there and be a part of it, but yeah, part the most interesting thing to me about Morrissey is it is his intense Mexican fandom. 
Like it's just so it's such an, it's such a really interesting subculture. Um, yeah. but I love that he's canceled for all the young men out there trying to sleep with goth girls. They don't have to pretend to like Morrissey anymore. <laughs> so you're not a Morrissey fan? No, I just have never liked his voice. And that, that's one of the, like Slipknot, I think Slipknot has some like really good riffs and like some of their things that they do with music is interesting. I think their look is super cool. When that guy starts singing, it, it's just, I don't like it. Well, and then you you bring it up to modern time because they came in at the early aughts, right? Mm. And now, yeah, what's his name? Corey uh, Feldman. Haim? Taylor. Ta- thank you, Oksana, our resident new metal uh, expert. <laughs> um, Corey Taylor. And then you, you get to hear him talking and you're like, man, I don't like you. Also, he uh, was in it. We own a Blu-ray signed by him because he was in a fear clinic, I think, with, with Robert England. Oh, boy. That is some garbage. Didn't he turn into like a ghost guy saying that? Oh, I don't know. I know D- his, uh, Chad's boy, Dave Grohl, was supposed to be part of the ghost thing. But I thought he wrote like a book about his house being haunted or something. Oh, oh you, you, I know, you, you don't mean the band. band. I thought you meant the band, too. I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, ghost. BC, no, no, no. Corey Taylor. Oh, he's like yeah. a he's like a fucking Zach Baggins. Now? Yeah. He's doing like EVP shit. I th- yeah, I think he wrote a book about ghost all right i take it back he's man i love everything about the band ghost except for how they sound like i think the whole concept is super cool i I just you know it just wasn't for me musically um but i i think the whole concept is really interesting and cool well there's another band i would say is uh shock rock like and even when you hear them talk about the concept it is the sound and they were kind of like you know if there was satanic music and really people who were into this i feel like this would be kind of their vibe. Mm-hmm. And, and I was the same thing with you where I'm like, I remember when they first came on, everybody out here was talking shit about them. There's like, look at this fake, like overproduced garbage. And then, I, you know, you watch the lead singer give interviews in Latin and you're like, oh, they're doing something interesting here. Also, yeah. when we saw them open for Maiden, he was completely trolling the crowd. Oh, completely. Yeah. And they he, didn't he get kept, it. He kept saying San Francisco when yeah. we were in Oakland. <laughs> And oh boy, they did so not enjoy good. that. So good. Uh, but I think that's really, I mean, to me, like, like what are we doing here? Are, are, are these people making things that nerds analyze with critical theory or are they performing? Like they're performing. Yeah. And I think that I've been reading like all these like books about Hollywood, you know, like Hal Needham's biography or Bruce Campbell's book or the, the you know, the oral history of uh, Fury Road, which is incredible. And I find like the idea of all these people, they're not thinking about, you know, third wave gender representation in a colonial uh, ecosystem like that. That's not what a lot of these great filmmakers are doing. They might be aware of that stuff, but it's not like their main thing is like have a tell a story, make some money, have fun doing it. And I, I find that way more compelling than the navel gazing of it after the fact. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, all the gender play in like film now, isn't that like a form of like coastal elitism? Where you're well, kind of, I, like- maybe, maybe not. It's it's all over the place. You know, like I, I think that like on one hand, you can totally like cringe at libs of TikTok and be like, holy fucking shit. Look at these weirdos. But on the other hand, I, I really love all the different gender play because I think it's like talk about like uh autonomy of your own psyche i mean it mm-hmm. it, it it and you know presentation of your own um your own way of going through the world i i think it's super interesting i, I think it's a little weird when like you have like 
10 people who have the exact same manifestation of the, the same aesthetic mental illness. Not that any of this is, but you know what I mean? Like the yeah, people who yeah. like pretend to have ticks on the internet and stuff like that. Like that stuff is weird, but I think that has more to do with the idea that humans are like a mimetic species that just sort of like copies and feels these things over time. And um, like, I, I think it's interesting. Like to me, like the fact that older people hate on it indicates that it's interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I also hate on it too, but it's different because, you know, we actually, we have trans friends and they were trans before like this thing. And I always, I just think about like, you know, the, the, the quiet trans free female who is not represented by these people. Mm-hmm. And it's like this whole social movement on TikTok or like Instagram. And it's like, at the end of the day, I, you know, I do talk about Rosemary's Baby and shit. And I like troubled artists. Like, I really do. And I kind of have that in real life, too. Like, I'm not a, I don't really judge anybody. I just well, want authenticity. Right. Yeah, and people, it, people who are off the mean in whatever way, like make more interesting shit, you know, and oh, completely. And I think and another thing to think about it, like in, in the same way that like you have an opinion of like Southern culture and Southerners that yeah. is like closely mediated. Most of what we feel about this new shit is mediated by the culture. And it's like just two people, one people being like, oh, if you're a trans person, you're an angel. And can, you know, must be protected at all costs. And on the other side, you have like, oh, it's a, you know, a fucking hell spawn, drown it like a witch. And and both of those perspectives are fucking stupid, especially if you know anybody that's anywhere, you know, in the gender fluid spectrum. Like I I work with somebody who's like a HEMA fighter. She is a non-binary person. And like that person is just rad. You know, yeah. like there's no other way. So to come on there with like your MSNBC or Fox News opinion of that person before you met them, I think does yourself a disservice and them a disservice. Totally. Sure. And yeah. I think that's part of the, the coastal elite thing because, you know, you, you're judging people that you've never even like talked to before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, perspective, baby. Yeah. And that's what I thank y'all both for because you try. It's, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've given up and uh, it's exhausting. J- just in time for Oksana to introduce me to scary thoughts like a year ago or something. <laughs> yeah, how, did you, how did y'all even hear about that show? Cause we don't promote it at all. Um, so I was really into um, what is it? Ster- Studio Argento. Mm. Stereo Argento. Stereo Argento. Yeah. yeah. The, the drag show that used to be at um, Bo. Yeah. Yeah. By, um, Meredith. Meredith. Yeah. So I was looking up interviews with Meredith and you guys had her on there. So I listened to that. I um I listened to a couple of your episodes. I told Russell about it. I ended up buying the artist's way. I haven't read it yet, but <laughs> Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, I think I messaged you guys on Instagram to invite you to um the one of the screenings we were doing at the Little Roxy. Pretty sure it was for Descent to Darkness. Maybe. And oh yeah, guys- yeah. He was answered like a year later, like, oh, sorry, we're really bad at answering on Instagram. <laughs> well, I never up, I never update apps ever. So like, and the first thing that always changes on these apps are the messaging function. And so if you go a while, like you just stop getting notifications. And I think they do it. That's like the carrot, you know, for the stick yeah. of updating is like, oh, you won't build a, I'm just like, no one is reaching out to us on here. So who gives a shit, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, but uh, that merit that Meredith episode is really interesting because it's a, kind of what we were talking about earlier about like younger people liking things. 
she loves the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was a really important film for her at that, at that time. And yeah, I know how I... So young. <laughs> <laughs> so young, but also like kind of a genius, like a really smart, interesting performer. And like y'all is all in on film. Um, and like, it was just interesting. The, I, I think the idea was like, you know, she thought that we were going to be like, defend your taste in front of these two old codgers. And we're like, basically, <laughs> you know, we're like the two old pup, you know, the, the puppets and the Muppets that are like shitting on everything, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you know, I, I think we were probably a little more open-minded than that. But like, at the same time, it just seemed so ludicrous to me that you would prefer that version to the original one. Even if you saw them like years later, I, I just, I don't know. I, it, it just seems insane to me. Clark, you want to defend it? I know you're a big- <laughs> an hour and 15 minutes into the show. <laughs> yeah. Def- oh, I mean, I, uh, well, what's the ca- I mean, are, if, if we're pitting it against the original, I mean, that's not a conversation <laughs> I, I'm interested in having, but, uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. I had fun same, with it. And I think, same. yeah, I'm yeah, not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying like, you know, I don't know, but then again, there's somebody out there that prefers the John Wayne version of true grit. And I think the, the Coen brothers version is superior. So I right there, that, that's wholeheartedly agree with you. Russell's on the opposite side of that. Um, I don't know. I just think there's a uh, cultural weight to having John Wayne in that film sure. that transforms it. But the Coen brothers did a better job. Now I am not a like little uh, fanboy of the Coen brothers, although I probably should be. I, their scripts are really good. I love that true grit. It's really good. Again, because it feels like a tabletop game. It's like a fucking adventure. There's random encounters. It's like, why is the body hanging in a tree? I loved it. So, yeah. It's, it's right. You got to get your Blood Meridian on, man, if you like true grit. I know. You keep like, it, I'm scared. No, see, here's the thing, Jad. You're a very uh, intelligent dude. I'm scared I'm going to look at this book, and it's going to like read like a different language. And I'm going to be like, what the fuck? I did read um The Road. So okay, I've, I've so you, get, you got a little McCarthy under your yeah. boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Blood Meridian has been the albatross on my boat for quite some time. Oh, you haven't read it? No. Oh. I've been meaning to oh, for man. a decade. Yeah. We should do, like, we should do a Blood Meridian episode. <laughs> Chad, how many times have you read Blood Meridian? I don't know. 15 times, maybe. Yeah. 15. Yeah. How many books, uh, how many copies of it do you own? Uh, I have an audio version of it. I have a first edition of it that's super valuable. And yeah. I have a, a hardcore, hardcover version of it that I have notes in. Oh, dude, I wrote in a book today for the first, like I've highlighted books before, but I actually wrote like in it. I'm, I'm fucking into it. I think I'm gonna start writing in all my books. <laughs> yeah. It, I, you know, it's fun. I never go back and look at the notes. So I don't know why I do it ever, but uh, a friend of mine has a couple books from Anne Rice's collection or her personal collection. And there's like handwritten notes in it and stuff. I think like if you ever become famous, it's kind of a neat thing to leave behind is like copies of books. I mean, that's certainly why I do it, even though I do absolutely nothing to warrant fame. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it, it taps into my level of sound footage horror. It's like medium yeah. that's been touched by another human. And yeah. now you also, you get that art, but you also get like, the interaction with another human. Yeah, it just feels like homework to me. Well, that, well, that's the whole history of marginalia. You know, like all the old monks, the illustrated books, and they would write something on the side. Like, you know, it, sometimes it's even really funny. Like, I farted so loud, I woke up brother John. You know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> like that stuff is really interesting. Yeah, I'm not taking those kind of notes in my book. <laughs> 
Well, Chad, I mean, I apologize for not having you on here sooner. I mean, I don't know why I'm doing that. I mean, thank you for taking the time to to give us an hour of your life. Um, I'd love to have you guys on more often, but Clark hates your show, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> My friends are always like, oh, I want to listen to your show. I'm like, uh, have you seen this movie? And do you enjoy the work of Judith Butler? And like, if they're like, no, and no, I was like, then no, you don't want any part of this. Like, yeah, I, I highly disagree. I, I honestly wish you guys would do more like Veronica type stuff. Cause even when you don't like something, my favorite conversation to have, cause we, we have the privilege of knowing, um, like some San Francisco film critics out here who only deal in like highbrow shit. And every now and then we can trick them into watching something like the fear footage or something like there's no reason this should have ever appeared on your radar. Yeah. And I love talking to these people about things they don't like. And cause a lot of the time they don't, they can't articulate it and it's just outright dismissal. And I'm like, that's so boring. Like you can really like mold your taste by like just understanding what you don't like in a movie. Okay. That's yeah. why I'm talking about you and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know. And I understand. Well, you can really tell like whether or not somebody has a received opinion or an original opinion based on their ability to articulate it. Like somebody goes like, Fight Club is shit, right? Like, and you're like, okay, well, why, why? You know, and they're like, it's misogynistic. You're like, okay, well, right. But you realize like the hero of this movie is basically Marla Singer. Like, or whatever, you know, that would be like my pushback on it. But then somebody could say, I think this movie has a really stale soundtrack. I think, um, You know, like the, some of the dialogue is really stilted. You could start to like make actual like it's not a perfect movie by any means, but like the people who are like, "Oh, that sucks," and that's their critique. I think, like, what else are they wrong about? Probably, <laughs> every, probably everything. You know. And if you all want to hear Chad uh, do an episode where he absolutely had nothing to say about a topic, go check out the Dungeon Synth episode of uh, Scary Thoughts. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah, that is a, I mean, and then I think Dungeon Synth is real outsider art. Like, I think yeah. Dungeon Synth is what black metal wishes it was. Um, it, it's so much, it's one, it has the same source material, um, but it's so much weirder and more, like, honest, I think, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You have some, like, you know, some borderline homeless furry living in <laughs> Nebraska who just loves the movie Willow and has a keyboard. Like yep. that person now has an album, you know, and, and to me that, that is really outstanding. And we have a, a, a dungeon synth playlist on Spotify that Andy Connors put together. We have a black metal one too, but nobody gives a shit about that. But the dungeon synth playlist has more views than any of our episodes <laughs> and several yep. of our episodes put together. But it is, I, I find it, I think I definitely come across as a bit of a hater at the time of the podcast, but uh, since then I've been completely won over by it as a genre. Oh, good to have you aboard. Now, yeah. uh, I can't recommend that playlist anymore because half of those views are me. Um, it's great work music to put on the background. Uh, I totally agree. Fucking, dude, it's it's curated by Andy Connors, and part of the problem when you're in such a like niche thing it's hard to find like tastemakers because mm-hmm. I mean, the conversation hasn't even really like formulated for it. So having somebody like Andy Connors put that shit together 
It's fantastic. And they got two of them. And they're fuck, it's like four hours long, right? It's fucking long. Oh, it's longer than that. It's like eighteen hours long or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe the black metal one's that long, but it is like you could go a whole work day listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Which I've done. Well, Chad, before we cut you loose, and again, thanks for uh, carving out some time with us today. Uh, anything you want to plug? You want to plug the show, some gun ranges you, you venture at, <laughs> you know, anything you got? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't really produce very much other than the Scary Thoughts podcast, but I would really definitely recommend you check out Mark and Andy's band, My Heart and Inverted Flame. That's on Bandcamp. I don't know how Bandcamp works, but it's on there. Uh, and then Monique Jenkinson's book, uh, phonique uh, life and drag i think i'm probably getting the title wrong but y- you should be able to find it uh they're mark and monique are true artists you know i am like a marketing jabroni like literally a chad um and i just <laughs> hang out with them <laughs> so check their shit out yeah and I, I again i have to ask because people are starting to bother me about it when uh when scary thoughts coming back uh, we have an episode in the can. I just have to write the episode copy for it later today and it should be out Monday or Tuesday. But, you know, we had, you know, my diaspora, my Oregon diaspora. Mark got the Rona. M- Monique's book tour took a lot of time. And then Mark's back in school. So we just had kind of a bit of a hiatus. I'm just hearing excuses, dude. Get oh, the it shit is all excuses. <laughs> I mean... I mean, if you divided our like w- what we made out of the show by our time, we're like probably probably negative a thousand dollars an episode in some <laughs> cost. So <laughs> you get what you oh. pay for. Wow, that hurt. Do not equate time to money, please. Then I'll have to look back at my life and I'll jump off a building. But yeah. I'm not joking. People have been bothering me. What the fuck did they? I because we've had um, <laughs> three people have been bothering you. <laughs> hey, I'm not joking. So people. Uh, I don't know how to put this, but we, uh, you know, we, we like our fellow podcast and we play around with a lot of them. And uh, I think three of them have ended <laughs> since communicating with us. So when Scary Thoughts stopped posting, people were like, dude, what the fuck, man? Like, are they done? So I'm glad to hear you're not. Yeah, we're still doing it. I imagine we'll probably do it for a long time. Unless Mark, like for me, honestly, it's really not that heavy of a lift. I just like... You know, take some mushrooms, smoke a gram of weed, and watch a movie and think about it for a few hours, uh, and then get equally fucked up when Mark says it's time to record. Mark does all the work, so yeah. All right, we got to we got to bug Mark. Also, I'd like to get these guys doing a movie, like presenting one. We could talk. About yeah, that, we right? totally would. Mark is great on camera. I'm not so great on camera, um, but I could wear like a goblin costume or something. <laughs> all right, thanks, Chad. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.